Do you whine like a baby or shout like a drill sergeant? Where did your voice come from? And if it's something that we've learned, can we relearn it? How do we find a voice that is authentic to us and can we be quiet enough to actually hear ourselves? Who do you sound like? Hi, welcome to the One to One Thing podcast. My name is Steve Wright, a seasoned IT manager and personal development coach unpacking what it takes to have a meaningful one-to-one conversation at work, home, and in our head. We all live lives full of conversations that range from awkward to impossible. Join me as we learn to navigate the one-to-one thing. Welcome to episode two of the one-to-one thing. We introduced in the first episode our inner selves in conversation. Steve, our higher cognitive self, and Wilson, the deeper emotional self. These two selves make up who we are, and they have a continual dialogue going on. Many parts of how we communicate internally factor into how we communicate with others. In this episode, we explore the question of who do we sound like, and I'm focusing on the actual sounds and voices that we use rather than words or vocabulary. Research has shown that more communication is conveyed through the tonality or qualities of voice than the actual words or vocabulary that we use. The show today consists of three parts, bringing us to a conclusion about the power of our internal and external voice in communication. Part 1. We have two ears and one mouth. I googled to find out if there was an animal that had two mouths, and there isn't. We all have one source for making sound and two sources for locating it. Sound is interesting because it is one of the earliest sensory response loopback mechanisms that we actually create. We were hearing before we were speaking and we knew sounds and noises before we knew voices and words. When you think about it, a crying baby gets instant feedback when they're being soothed. And that makes a lot of sense as babies don't have the circuitry to discern words or even people's voices before they understand sounds and noises. To clarify, the distinction between a noise and a sound is that a noise is an unpleasant sound that can trigger a physical or emotional response. All noise is sound, but not all sound is noise. Although you might disagree if you heard me sing or play the saxophone. Now, just as the ears are an amazing organ being able to discern minute frequency changes in ear pressure and pick up sounds across a wide range, two ears allow us to not only hear sounds, but locate them too. An essential tool for survival if you're hunting or avoiding a threat. Where a sound is located can affect how we feel about it. The most common sound we hear as we grow up is the human voice. Our voices are just incredible. It's not just the vocal cords that make sound, but cavities in our head and throat and the pressure and volume of air in our lungs and the control of our core and diaphragm. The combination is unique and that's how we can tell which voice is calling us from a crowded room. When we speak, there is actually a lot going on. It takes a lot of effort in the body to create sound waves and the shape of those sound waves in a way that can be interpreted as sound, let alone voice or actual speech. We need to create vibrations in our throat, which is done by passing air over vocal cords and shaping that resonance in either our nose, m- mouth or throat. 
I'm learning to play the saxophone and I can appreciate just how much effort it takes to pass air through a little tiny reed in a mouthpiece in order for it to vibrate the tube of the saxophone to make a note or a sound. Most of the time I'm making more noise than sound, but it's pretty much the same effort we go through in our bodies to make a sound. Remember, our brains don't like to expend energy or effort. Let's do a quick exercise in communicating with yourself. Say the phrase, ya, 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 out loud in a clear voice. Ya, 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 ya. And let's do that again. Ya, 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 ya. Now mouth the phrase, making the actions in your body without making a sound. I've paused so that you can do it. One more time with more expression, but no sound. Then finally say the phrase just in your head without making any sound and without moving your body at all, totally still. And again. Great. All three methods communicate with you, but the voice qualities can feel quite different. Did the first two methods make you feel like yawning? Just a thought. It made me feel like yawning. Did the second method's voice sound more like the first or the third one? And did the first method's voice sound different to the third one? Communicating without using the physical mechanics of making sound can feel very different in our head. Talking only in our head also robs us of any directional cues of the voice. Where is the so-called sound coming from? All three methods are also very helpful in communicating with others. Evoking body language when we speak allows us to share non-verbal cues, even if the person can't see us. And speaking with body language without sound can be helpful in really noisy environments. Imagine ordering a drink from a crowded bar. Your gestures alone are enough to communicate your intention. Using just our internal dialogue to replay what we say can help us detect cues and temper our responses to others. Part 2. Tonality is subtle, so we really have to listen. Regarding the human voice, we all have a sense of someone's tone with us. I was told lots of times at school to watch my tone, and a few times since school too. We grow and develop and understand different noises and different voices. We build a picture inside our head of what a voice means, and how a voice feels, and how we sound to ourselves. I hope you felt the difference in the third method of communicating the ya 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 internally without movement. Professor Albert Morabian's studies gave us the theory of the 7%, 38%, 55% split between words, verbal and nonverbal communication respectively. I'm not sure if those ratios still hold true today. In the age of text and tweets, words can mean a lot more. And the line between verbal and non-verbal can be blurry. People can read a lot into the speed you respond to a text as well as what you say. The point I'm making is that tonality can require more than just our ears. There is behaviour and sentiment built in and that requires us to be attuned to what is being communicated by others as well as by ourselves. It can be really easy to drown out our own inner voice by voluntary distraction 
such as playing music or having constant noise around us and activity. The sound of voices we hear the most growing up are the ones that surround us. Our parents, siblings, family, teachers, influencers, social and other media, TV and movies. Blaise Pascal said it well when he said, All men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. Sitting alone doesn't have to be something that is depressing or an expression of loneliness. Solitude is a powerful tool for us to be able to tap into what our inner voice is saying. The quiet is where our inner voice has the chance to express itself and that voice comes from Wilson, our emotional self, using the circuitry of our brains to make sense of what we've heard, what we feel and what we sense in the world. Wilson is most in tune with our internal voice because it doesn't require sound waves or body movements and is dealing with the emotional element of communication. The third method in the exercise is what Wilson relates to. It takes the least amount of energy which the brain likes, yet conveys what we want to say. In that sense, speaking to ourselves is the most passive form of listening. It doesn't require any feedback or gestures, just an emotional hook in order for us to understand and perceive what is being said. Everybody agrees on the importance of active listening when communicating with somebody else and how we can convey empathy and understanding in what is being communicated. But do we spend that same amount of energy or effort actively listening to our own internal communication? To actively listen to myself as I would actively listen to somebody else would be a powerful thing to do. We've all been raised in an environment of subliminal messaging. So how do we know what we are saying is really our own voice? And if we're using a voice that doesn't support us, how do we go about changing that narrative? Creating an exercise of actively listening to our inner voice can be the start. So why not take the same exercises and processes and apply them to ourselves? For example, are we stuck in universals? Do we describe things as always this? And never that? Are things always the way we think they're going to be? Are things never going to change? Changing our voice also starts by changing the emotion we relate to it. We can tell if someone is upset by the quality of their voice or if they're excited, anxious, charming or condescending. It's their non-verbal behaviour coming through. If we can relate to what someone is doing with their body to sound a certain way, we can mimic their non-verbal behaviour to feel that same way. Simply matching a person's energy level in speed, pitch or volume can make us almost feel what they are feeling. If our Wilson has heard a voice tone enough times, it can feel the emotion without doing anything. There are great tools out there for reconditioning how we feel and this is an area where coaching can really help. We may cover some of these in future episodes. Part 3 The tone you take with others can also be applied to yourself. This statement also works the other way around. The tone we take with ourselves can be applied to others. It really depends on how well you're looking after yourself. A book I read recently suggested that we treat ourselves like we would our favourite pet. We wouldn't feed our pet the wrong food. We would take the pet to the vet when it needs to go. We'd ensure that it got enough exercise. We'd make sure that it had enough of our care and attention. And basically, we would want it to live a happy and long life. That's all the things I'd like for myself. But sometimes our circumstances or our environment or just our sense of self-deprecation 
means that we burn ourselves out, we run ourselves ragged, we don't get enough sleep or don't go to the doctors when we need to. In those cases, what tone are we using with ourselves that we wouldn't use with our dearest friend, loved one or pet? Are we impatient with ourselves? Do we scold or reprimand ourselves quickly, always thinking that we could have done things better or differently and we're always to blame? If we use that tone continually with others, how would it work out? Even our pet would avoid us. No dog wants to come to an angry owner, especially after peeing on the couch or eating their favourite slippers. So it's times like this we have to remember that the brain is not an organ but a muscle. We often think of it like a muscle, where you exercise it and it gets stronger. When in actual fact it's an organ, which is a collection of tissues designed for a specific function. Like any organ or organism, it's looking out for its self-preservation. In the last episode, we commented on how Steve, the higher cognitive self, seeks growth and contribution, while Wilson, its deeper emotional self, wants to avoid pain and conserve energy. We also said that the goal of the conversation game is to continue playing rather than to be the winner at the other person's expense. Maintaining a tone that allows us to play the game next time is better than having one that beats ourselves up when things don't go the way we want them to. When things don't happen on our timeline, we can exercise patience. When we mess up, we can give ourselves some grace. When we could have done things better, it's a chance for us to learn and grow. Taking that tone with ourselves and with others will allow us to play the conversation game more often. So, to recap... We looked at how important verbal communication is before development of words and vocabulary and how it shapes the communication and conversations we have with ourselves. Wilson, the deeper emotional self, responds in subtle ways to the tonality and voice quality in our communications and we saw that this comes from the non-verbal cues that present themselves in a subtle way. We also highlighted the importance of a quietness in the mind to allow us to understand and appreciate and develop our own inner voice. The tonality is what resonates most with Wilson. It's an important part of the process as our internal communication shapes what our external communication would look like. And then we looked at the tone that we use with ourselves can be applied to the tone that we use with others and we have a part to play in that narrative. It's important to appreciate the tone that we have inside our head as much as the tone that we have outside with others. So we've taken a look at the 38% portion of verbal communication. In the next episode, we'll look at the 7%, the words and vocabulary that adds precision to our communication. And while it's a small percentage of total communication, it can be in many ways the most important part. This is where Steve, the higher cognitive self, communicates. I look forward to you joining me in the next episode. Thanks for joining me today. Please subscribe and leave a review. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. My details and links are in the show notes.